Welcome to episode five of How About the Muskies. Once again, I'm Connor with Matt, Andrew, and Matt. Crew's all back together after last episode. And we got a big one here, UConn. Wins the PK Invitational in Portland. They defeated Oregon, Alabama, and Iowa State. And all of them by 15 plus. Those are three quality opponents. To defeat them by that margin is pretty impressive. So let's get right into it. Starting off with the Oregon game. UConn won 83 to 59. It, was, it wasn't even that close. I mean... Tristan Newman in the first half had like 21 points, I believe. And he, she quieted down in the second half, but just overall domination from the whole team. Anyone have any thoughts on the Oregon game? Off rip? Yeah, that was just, I think that was our easiest game. Just not by the team, but the way we played. We just, Everybody was on, I mean, maybe except except for really, I think, Aline and Diara. Everybody played pretty well. I mean, Newton with a real great game. He had five of six from three, which I think is the most noteworthy thing about his game. And Hawkins strong again with 18 points and even Joey from three, too. So I just feel like that was a perfect game for us to get right into the tournament. And then obviously the floodgate just opened after that one. Yeah, um, Connor, you said it. Tristan Newton went absolutely nuclear in that first half, and I wasn't expecting him to shoot the ball the way he has been at UConn, but that's another story. And another thing is we handled those two bigs pretty well, or those three bigs that they have. We've handled that pretty well, and Donovan Klingon honestly showed that he's one of the top freshman bigs in the country because we saw how he did against – it's Khalil Ware, right? Khalil Ware, who's was – a top five recruit for bigs coming out of high school. So we got to see that. Uh, Yeah. I'm uh, pretty sure Oregon was missing two of their best guards this game, which a lot of their fans were uh, complaining about. But, I mean, even in the other aspects of the game, we contained uh, the bigs really well. They had uh, they had where to kind of go off 18 points, nine rebounds. But Sonogo held his own this game. He finished with 12-6, and six, uh, 5 for 7 from the field. He even hit two threes. So, I mean, for a game that wasn't really very close, a lot to take away and a lot of uh, good things to take away. Yeah, they also – I didn't realize this at the time until they announced it on the broadcast, but they broke the of the program three-point record in one game. They hit 17 of them. Five by Hawkins, five by Newman, Joey at three, a couple from Caravan, as you mentioned, a couple from Sonogo. It was just great to see. I mean, shooting, it was a question mark a little bit coming in. We brought in some good shooters, but we weren't sure how they'd really perform. We lost Tyler Polly, obviously, RJ Cole, Tyree Smartman, all great shooters. But, yeah, the shooting's been great so far. And like you mentioned, when you mentioned Oregon, they're kind of banged up right now. I noticed I was watching their game against Villanova where they won, they had a walk-on start. So they're really banged up. And it's crazy they won that game as well. It just shows Nova, obviously, topic for another day, but they're not having a great season. I know they're missing Cam Whitmore and Justin Moore, but two and five, they'll know it's kind of shocking. Yeah, the depart, uh, departure of Jay Wright seems to be hitting them pretty hard. Definitely. And do a couple more quick takeaways from that Oregon game. Joey Calcaterra just once again comes off the bench and he's a spark plug. Four or five from the field, three or four from three, 11 points. 
he really, once he checked in, it was a close game, neck and neck. They just took off as soon as he came in the game. I'd love to see that. Yeah, and Joey's starting to look like our spark plug off the bench, even though we have Andre Jackson coming off the bench, who is a human spark plug, even if he's not coming off the bench. But I feel like Jackson might get inserted back into the starting lineup, and if he does, Joey Calcaterra is our guy. And regardless, if he's our sixth man or not, if he's our seventh man, he always, just once he comes off the offense, really gets going, and he makes some tough shots. Yeah, definitely. Jackson, he he did he had a pretty good tournament. He, he was in the MVP conversation. There wasn't I'm glad Clayton won, but there wasn't really a clear favorite for the MVP. But uh, Clayton 15 and 10 in that last game for Iowa State, which we'll get to, he definitely deserved it. But you could argue even Joey, Jackson, Caravan, even Newman for that first game. But it just shows the balance we have as a program so far. Yeah, Jackson definitely seems like the worst player to play against. Uh, I would not want to be matched up with him if I was on the other team. He's just full of energy, and I don't see him tire at all. He jumps all the way up. He could touch the back of the backboard if he wanted to. He gets in all the passing lanes. He, even that play he made yesterday where he jumped up and threw the ball back in, I was watching that. I, I could have sworn it was that. I guess not. I mean, all the things he does are just so useful, even if he isn't scoring. Yeah, definitely. And move on from the Oregon game. The next day, UConn played, at the time, number 18, Alabama. And they won 82 to 67. They led by five at halftime, but they were, Alabama had a late run, like I believe mean, a 9-0 run, and cut it to five. And then they just, they outscored by 10 in the second half, 47-37. They really just took over. And that was the Adonis Novo game. He had 25 points. 25 points, just four rebounds, but just dominant inside against some pretty solid defensive front court. They have Charles Charles Bediaco in there, pretty solid defender. And yeah, what do you guys think about the Bama game? Yeah, well, the Bama game brings me to my main takeaway from the tournament. And my main takeaway from this tournament is that this is a mature team. When they get punched, they punch back. And that's what you see out of mature teams. Every time they got a big lead, it's basketball. Runs happen. It's a game of runs, especially in college. And when Alabama would punch back, I think they even got the game tied up at one point. We didn't give up the lead. We went on an 8-0 run, something like that. And we ended up winning this game by 10-plus points. So that was my main takeaway from the tournament, was getting punched and punching back. Yeah, for sure. Past UConn teams, maybe even just a couple years ago, they're not. They allow Alabama to get back in that game. They're not winning that game. They're, they blow the lead. They're not coming back. And more stats from that game: Alice Caravan, really underrated tournament. I mean, he's really been a consistent like ten to twelve point per game player every game. He had twelve points, four assists this game. Hit a couple of threes. Jordan Hawkins, he had sixteen points, five attempts in the field. He had a Outside of the Iowa State game, which is up next, he had a really great tournament scoring basketball. And Joey Calcaterra as well, another 10 points off the bench, two, two, three. So really, another overall just balanced scoring effort. Obviously, Sonogo with the 25, but after that, four players in double figures. Another Tristan Newman with nine, he was almost in double figures. So it just shows the depth of this team. It's off the charts. What this tournament showed, I think, especially for the freshmen, is that this team 
like especially the freshmen. The freshmen are ridiculously mature. Like they are ready to play college basketball, which is absurd to me because usually freshmen have that year. Like you guys know who I'm talking about. Book Knight's freshman year when he got suspended for God knows what he did. But he got suspended that freshman year. Um, I think he drove his car on something. I don't know, but he got suspended. And it was kind of went a little downhill for him his freshman season. But these two, Klingon and Caravan, are just showing that they're ready to play college basketball. They could, probably could have played last year. And it's, I feel like it's just really rare to see freshmen this mature and this ready to play the game only a month into the season. Yeah, and let's just look at these freshmen for what it is. Alex Caraban is a starter on the number eight team in the country as a freshman and has been a consistent 10 points a game, always making the right play, playing good defense. Donovan Klingon just won MVP of the PKI, and if he wasn't on a team with the top five center in college basketball, he'd probably start at almost any other school in the country. So this freshman class is amazing me so far, and I love to see the future of UConn basketball in hands this great especially with the class coming in next year. Also coming with the uh, freshmen is a lot of the transfers that came in too. Calcaterra, Aline, uh, Diara, all those guys. Uh, they might not be making the, the biggest impact on the court, but the things they do for our team just at a maturity level are just uh, underappreciated, in my opinion. Uh, we've brought in guys in the past who tend to come in and you know want to be the big guy on the team. They take a lot of shots. And they make a lot of dumb mistakes. I haven't noticed very many dumb mistakes from any of the new guys coming in on the team. I haven't looked at a play and been like, ugh, like, like that's like a first-year player or looked at a freshman and had the same kind of mentality towards it. I've, I've kind of looked at all of them and have, have hardly seen any flaws. Yeah, it's crazy. Now, as of today, top 10 in the country, 8-0. This isn't supposed to be our year. That's next year with the top of the recruiting class. It's really scary to see the future of this program as a whole. And let's see. I think we can move on now to the Iowa State game, the championship, which obviously unrelated, but 10 p.m. on a Sunday night is not ideal, but I get it's on the West Coast and stuff, but it is what it is. If you win a championship, it's worth it. The UConn won 71 to 53, and I, one thing I noticed that stuck out was the foul trouble Iowa State was in pretty much from the rip. They had, like, three guys with three fouls in the first half. The refs were just calling everything on them, and UConn took advantage. They were led by Donovan playing the best game of his career, 15-10. Also, a big game for Andre Jackson, 10-13-5, to go with, along with two steals. And, yeah, what do you guys think of the championship game? This was the game that proved how deep our team is because both Adama and Hawkins were both in foul trouble. And guys like Diara, Klingon, they both stepped up to take their places. I mean, Hawking getting his first tee in a tournament, he'll learn from it. But, I mean, it was a little bit of a weird call. I didn't see him say anything, but, you know, technically not supposed to talk to the officials after any play, criticizing him. So, you know, like Hurley said, he'll learn from it. He's still a young kid. He's getting ready for the NBA. So he's going to deal with that all the time. And it, this – this just proved how deep we are. I mean, when a freshman and a transfer are stepping up for two of the best players on your team, that really says something about the team you've got. So this was UConn's worst shooting game by far in the tournament. They only shot 26.9 from three. 
and they lost the turnover battle, but they won the rebound battle by 29, which is, I had to double check that stat. I was like, 29? Are you being serious right now? And what this shows is this team could win the game in different ways. Because in a college basketball season, it's long. You play 30 regular season games, lots of tournament games, and every game isn't going to be the same. And with Hawkins not playing good, Sunogo playing good, somehow we still won the game from being physically dominant. And we won this game with a rebound differential of 29, which that's just crazy to me. At the end of this tournament, uh, looking back at it, uh, the one guy I really want to salute for everything is Dan Hurley. Uh, I'm not going to lie, coming into the season, I had doubts on whether or not he was the right guy to be coaching this team. You know, he gets a lot of the good uh, recruits coming in. That was his big thing, is that he's going to bring in the best players possible. But a lot of his schematics kind of bothered me in ways where I would be watching sometimes over last season and the season before and be like, are we running plays? Like, <laughs> I feel like we're just letting the guard do whatever they want we're letting book do whatever he wants but this year I'm, I'm seeing a big jump uh from him uh being able to get the guys ready for big games like this and being able to help them handle the pressure which in the past i've seen us fold under pressure we've gone out in march the first round two years in a row which two upsets which is just honestly unacceptable for the program that we're trying to be um this team does not look like a team that will be out in the first week of March. I'll tell you that much. The The way he's handled all the criticism and is bouncing back this season to me is truly remarkable. And I can't wait to see uh, how that goes going forward. Yeah, Matt, you're so right about the offense. It just looks so much less stagnant. The ball's popping. The assist levels are much higher this year. So that's something I wanted to point out at some point. I'm glad you brought it up because the movement in the offense and the guys making plays out there and the assists have just looked so good this year. I mean, the biggest difference from last year to this year is last year, like especially the end of games, like the end of the Villanova game, I wanted that ball in RJ Cole's hands no matter what. I didn't want anybody else to touch that basketball except for him. And with this team, I mean, I don't really care whose hands it's in because honestly, I trust anybody on this team to take control of the game. So I think that's really the biggest difference from last year to this year, which is why I think we're going to make it way, way farther than we did last year. I mean, hopefully farther than the first round. But, yeah, I mean, just this team just looks I, – I don't know how it's better than last year, but it just – it's looking like that right now. Yeah, Matt, going back to your point about early, he's always been known – he can recruit. He got the book nice of the world, Andre Jackson, so no-go. He was never really known. Can he coach? Can he coach his recruits? He's shown that this year. 8-0, it's partially on the players, mostly on the players, but not 8-0 without a great head coach, and that's what Dan Early is. And I have an interesting stat here from the Iowa State game. Adonis Sonogo and Jordan Hawkins combined for more personal fouls than they did points, and we won versus a pretty worthy opponent by 17-18 points. That just shows it's incredible depth. I'm repeating myself, but the depth is not on this team. And one more thing, Joey Calcaterra, reminder, he's a guard. He's shooting 62% in the field as a guard and 55% from three, 15 for 27. I feel like every time he throws up a shot, it's going in. For the most part, it is. That's just crazy numbers. And one more cool stat here, Donovan Blaine. He's currently averaging 9.5 points, around seven rebounds, and almost two and a half blocks. 
He's doing that in less than 16 minutes per game. Say he's a starter, he could potentially double that to around maybe, I don't know, 18, 12, and four blocks. And if Chernobyl leaves eventually, which I don't know if he's NBA talent. I think he's NBA talent. I don't know if he'll go to the NBA and be successful or go, go to the draft, is what I'm trying to say. And Clayton, he'll be here for a couple of years, I imagine, so he's going to get that starting spot at some point. I just can't wait for that to happen and see how production stores up. Even besides Hurley, you got to give credit all the guys on the coaching staff. And Kamani Young, Luke Murray, Tom Moore, Chris Mastrangelo, Mamadou Diara, all those guys who are believing in these kids. I mean, seeing a team like or an organization like UConn that has four national championships, legends who have come through the school, go out twice in the first round, you know, it's not really something you want to see. And the people who transfer here obviously came here to win. And I'm just giving props to everybody on the coaching staff for still believing in these kids and wanting to also win because it's not just the players. It's also the coaches who need to want to win. So they deserve as much kudos as Dan Hurley and the players do because they do a lot of the dirty work like in practice and stuff. Yeah, for sure. Especially like guys like Mani Young. He's a great recruiter. He got some – I don't – I should know, but I don't know the guys he got specifically off the top of my head. But he's brought in himself a couple of great players to the program. And so, as you mentioned, UConn beat Iowa State, wins the championship, MVP of the tournament, Donovan McLean, Alex Caravan, all-tournament team. The only two Huskies with honors this weekend, both freshmen. So, that's just, who would have thought, honestly? I mean, if you were to tell me we would win this tournament, I would say, oh, Sonogo wins MVP after a monster game, or Jordan Hawkins goes off, torches from three, you win MVP. Nope, it's your backup center. It's just not many teams in the country can have their backup center in the MVP of a tournament that includes multiple ranked teams in it. But just, once again, the depth on this team is nuts. You were making a point uh, before about the day that Klingon starts, and I'm just hoping so badly that it's this year and they slide Sonogo to the four. Uh, I know I've been talking about it, but I just can't get it off my head. I don't think we've seen it yet. Uh, I'm just patiently, patiently waiting. Yeah. Um, one of my concerns right now, which is a really good concern to have, is that I just want to see Klingon and Sonogo on the floor together more. I don't want one of them to be in the game and one of them to be out. And so I guess if your main concern is having two players that are too good that you don't want one sitting, you're in a good spot. Yeah, that's happened sparingly over a few of the early cupcake games. I remember specifically, I think, against Boston. They played together for like three or four minutes just for the foul trouble. But yeah, it's definitely, especially with Sonogo stretching the floor a little more, hitting some threes. Because if you have two guys that can't shoot in there, it really, it'd be hard to play them together. But with Sonogo able to stretch the floor, it definitely opens up the opportunity for that to happen. And let's see, any more? Any more stats from the tournament? One, one, a couple of negatives. I don't want to touch my negatives too much. I mean, we're eight and zero, and just one of the PKI. But Naheem Aleen, he hasn't really impressed me so far. He had three mediocre games in this tournament. He averaged more fouls per game than points. I did the math earlier. It's just, I expect more from him. Seeing his resume, being Virginia Tech starter for a few years, but yeah. 
Uh, it seems like the shots for Liam just aren't falling. I'm not sure what the issue is because when he came in, I'm pretty sure he was a, was a pretty decent shooter last year for the VT. And uh, we just haven't seen what we've needed out of him. I'm sure he's brought things on the other side of the court where he's defending really well and getting out in transition really quickly. He's really fast, really quick player. So, I mean, if, if the shots aren't falling, you know, you got to at least be doing something else, which he has been, which is why we are 8-0. We couldn't be 8-0 without performances from everyone. So, I don't want to give him too much slack. Yeah, for sure, definitely. And another thing, Andre Jackson, he had a phenomenal tournament. I'm not here to bash him at all. But he's a little too confident in his three-point shot. He went, I believe, one for nine in the tournament. And a bunch of those misses were bad misses. A bunch of times, like, the, the reason he took the threes is because we're deep in the shot clock. There were also some other times where, like, an offensive rebound lasted on when he kicks it out, fresh 20 seconds, and he's just jacking it up and airballing it. But if that's if that's one of our problems, like, one of our main problems, I think we're in a good position because it's something that could easily be fixed. Just shoot it less, especially such a good distributor. You can find an open teammate. But... He knocked one down at the end of the Iowa State game to redeem himself a little bit there. Yeah, ideally, we don't want our possession to end in an Andre Jackson three. And I think his shooting numbers will level out a little bit over the season because he's better than what he's shown so far shooting. Last year, he actually surprised me with his shooting ability. And I'm sure it got better over the offseason. He's just coming off of an injury. But ideally, if Andre Jackson is shooting a three and that's our possession, it's probably not a great possession. Uh, just watching him. You could tell he's working on it. And honestly, I think he gets a little giddy out there. He wants to put it, you know, prove everyone wrong. Uh, you, you can see that his jump shot has definitely changed over the years. Last year, it was kind of horrendous looking. I'm not going to lie. But, you know, this year, it's, it's a little smooth. It's, it's got a smoothness to it. And I feel like eventually, eventually it'll start falling. You just got to get better looks. Yeah, while we're on the topic of Andre Jackson, I just want to add after talking about how he's not a great shooter. He's an amazing player, and he's going to be a great NBA player. So, Yeah, I mean, the threes, guys like Sonogo, he's not thinking about the three. He's just obviously trying to make it, but you could tell Jackson and Hawkins, especially in the wide open ones, they think too much on the three. I can just tell by the way they shoot it. Like, I don't know, this was really specific, but there was a foul call, and Hawkins just, threw one up from the corner and went in and he missed his like first four or five, you know, when he doesn't think about it, it goes in, which is when I think his numbers will shoot, start to shoot up. Like he can easily go six for six from three in a game, but he's just both of them. They're both pretty good shooters. I'd say they just both got to stop thinking about it when they shoot it. Cause that's what's going to bring them down. Yeah, definitely. And I'll just go off topic real quick. I have the Iowa State box score up here. Caleb Grill scored 31 points against North Carolina. It's seven threes in the upset over the number one, at the time, number one team. We held them to zero field goals in one point. That just shows the defense on this team. I believe for Ken Palm, we're up to six in Ken Palm overall. And we're the only team in the country with both top 10 in offense and defense. And it's just a complete team. It's just the formula to make a deep run in March, being good on both the offensive and defensive ends. Any last thoughts from you guys from the games before we move on? Yeah, um, I just want to give one last thought. This weekend, 
We saw a lot of great basketball, a lot of great players, a lot of great UConn basketball. And I know I said my main takeaway was that this team is mature, but I think my main takeaway from the PKI tournament is that Bill Walton is absolutely nuts. The guy is off his rocker, and it was entertaining. I'll give him that. It was a little annoying at first, but I learned some great things like how copper and gold affected the economy of Africa in the 11th and 12th century. And I got a lot of homework assignments. So I just want to give a quick shout out to Bill Walton. Yeah, for sure. Those Portland rivers are the real deal. There's two of them. Didn't know that. Yeah. Bill Walton is certainly a character. I, for one, will go around with the value of guys' opinions. I don't mind him. I think he's cool. He's cool. He's unique to the game. But I mentioned, if we're losing, say we're in the championship game for Iowa State, we're down by six five minutes ago. He brings up something about, like, I don't know, what you mentioned with copper and gold. I'd be a little annoyed. Like, I'm, I'm nervous here. We're down in the title game. Just talk about the game. What are you guys' thoughts on Walton? Just imagine how it was for the other guy just trying to do his job. Uh, I don't know how he didn't lose a few thoughts there, get distracted, or even feed into it. Uh, like he just kept he kept his head straight. I have no idea how he did that. I agree with your take, Connor, on if we were losing, it would be annoying. I personally thought it was pretty funny, just some of the stuff he was saying, like calling Bristol, Connecticut, absolutely beautiful. Like, I thought it was pretty funny, but definitely because we were up by a pretty good margin at the time. It also made the game a lot more fun. But, yeah, I think he's a pretty funny guy. But, yeah, definitely a little, uh, little different than most caller commentators I've seen. Yeah, and I'm just going to compare him to Andre Jackson with his commentating style because uh, he's high energy. He's all over the place. Um, I came out of this weekend a lot more knowledgeable about a lot of random stuff. So uh, don't just don't test me in a trivia competition after this. So let's move on now to the, the AP poll that dropped earlier today. UConn is ranked number eight. It's their highest ranking in quite some time. First time top 10 in almost 10 years. And they move up from 20th to eighth, which is a pretty big jump, but it's expected. And uh, just something I noticed looking at the the number of votes for each team. We got 1,099 and Creighton got 1,100. They got one more vote than us. So if, and I have a list of some voters here that voted us not so, not so high. Let's see, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 people had us 12 or lower after what we did, which it, it is what it is. There's one person in particular, I'm not going to say the name, but he had us at 16, and he had Duke at two after losing, and UNC fell from one to three. So I'm not sure if that guy should really have a vote in the AP poll, but it is what it is. It's We're in the top ten. It's it's great to be a Huskies fan. Any thoughts on the rankings? It's probably Davis. The AP poll loves to vote on quality of opponents which really doesn't work if you're judging a team already. Like, the whole thing just doesn't make sense. If, if you're judging a team on the quality of their opponent, but you're not going to put them in the top 10 for having bad quality opponents, and they're not high. Like, I don't even know. I, I don't want to get into it. But I feel like UConn has, has beaten some teams that made it <laughs> maybe farther in the tournament than expected. 
And I feel like if we beat, if, if UNC made it to the final, we beat UNC. I feel like we're higher than eight, undoubtedly. Um, it's just the fact we beat Iowa State, you know, Oregon, who's already struggling. Are they, what are they now, three and four, four and four? Um, I feel like once we get a, a win against a, a very high quality team, which uh, uh, I think we're going to get over Creighton, then I think we'll, we'll go up to top five. Yeah, January 7th, when Creighton comes to the stores, that's around five, six weeks away. We could both easily still be in the top 10 for that matchup. So definitely looking forward to that one. Cannot wait for that game. I think, I think I'm going to be in attendance for that one. I mean, sold out already, but that's bound to be one of the best games of the season for sure. Yeah, I'm hoping to be in attendance for that one too. And the thing is with Nova struggling, it's the Big East is basically between Creighton and UConn. There's an argument to be made for Xavier. St. John's has actually looked pretty good, but uh, that's going to be a huge game. And I think whoever wins that game wins the Big East regular season. Then we'll see what happens in the tournament. Yeah, I'll bring up Ken Palm again. UConn, they, Ken Palm has this thing where they predict who's going to win each game based on their numbers. I'm not sure the formula. I'm not going to get into it. But they predict us to go 30-1 and one this season with the one loss at Creighton. So I, mm, I'd probably place a bet we're not going to go 30-1. and one, But it's just cool to see we're at the point where we're projected to win pretty much every game based on Kempom, which is a pretty respected, pretty respected rankings around college basketball. 30-1 is a little ambitious. Um, you know, we lost a couple of ones that we should have won last year. You know, we lost at Seton Hall. We lost at Xavier, home against Providence. So, well, I mean, I don't think we're going to go 30-1. and one. That's a little ambitious. Um, definitely going to lose a couple along the road. But, you know, that's what teaches the team how to handle them. Honestly, I wouldn't want us to go 30-1 and because then – we'd hit the tournament thinking that we're the best team in the country. And I mean, all these, like we learned last year, I mean, 12 seed New Mexico state outcompeted us. We were a fourth seed. So all these teams in March are there to compete for one reason and it's to win a national championship. So I feel like our heads would be too high if we were 30 and one somehow. And you guys definitely know how conference play goes uh, in the big East, especially no team is going to, you know, just run through the Big East. The Big East is very tough, very gritty conference, uh, and especially the team that we have with a bunch of new players thrown in. We're bound to lose a few. I feel like that we're supposed to win, um, but you know, you gotta win the you gotta win the close ones. That's the big that's the big thing. I remember UConn would always lose the close games. That game against uh, it was against Creighton with R.J. Cole at the free throw line. What did he miss? Two in a row, and that one, that one broke my heart. I, I just a lot of disappointment over those past two, three years. Um, you you have to win the close games. That that's what it's really all about. Definitely, RJ Cole. That game brings back some tough memories, especially book night. That was the game he scored forty. So that to go to waste. It's it was unfortunate, but we moved on. And speaking of moving on, I'll go back to the AP poll real quick. Alabama was eighteenth when we beat them. They're up to eleventh. I can see that Alabama win being similar to the Auburn win last year, where it's going to – I could see – I see Bama and Auburn last year as similar teams, good teams in the SEC. They each have a star player. Obviously, last year, Jabari Smith with Auburn. This year, Brandon Miller with Alabama. So I can see that being a win that can go a very long way in March. And 
speaking of the wins, we're eight and all. Obviously, we've touched on that numerous times. But all eight games, we won by fifteen or more points. The closest game was the Alabama eighty-two to sixty-seven. This has just been a dominant stretch of UConn basketball. I know, obviously, the first five, whatever UNC, Wilmington, BU, Stonehill, but to go out west, what is it, a five-hour flight maybe to Portland, and just dominate the competition like they did. It's really impressive, for, especially for a team that – a bunch of newcomers. There's only like five or six returning scholarship players on the team. Last point here, then we'll wrap it up. Obviously, Andre Jackson, at this point, he's played five games. He's healthy. He has came off the bench all five games. The Emelines kept that starting spot. I think, personally, this is my opinion. I want to hear you guys after as well. I think you don't mix it up when you're 8-0. Obviously, Aline hasn't had the production you want him to have, and Jackson has played better, even in his limited time. But you don't make a starting lineup change when you're 8-0 and undefeated, even if it's just – you don't want to jinx it. It may be a superstitious, but you got to keep what's rolling if it's working. Yeah, Connor, about the game when Jackson and Hawkins came back, and they both came off the bench, and you said – you actually like Jackson that coming off the ball as a starter, but we saw in every game down in Oregon, he was coming off the bench again, and he does exactly that. He's a complete spark plug, just gets in the game, makes an instant impact, and that's a valuable thing to have on a team. And even if one of your top five guys is coming off the bench, he's still going to be in at the end of the game. So one of your best five players can come off the bench and it doesn't mean that they're bad or anything. It just means that that. Yeah. If you go back to a few years ago in North Carolina, that's what Nasir Little did the entire year. Nasir Little was coming off the bench the whole time. He was eventually a uh, lottery pick in the draft. I could see a very similar route for Jackson. Um, it's great having him off the bench, especially uh, the teams that we've played. They don't seem very deep. They seem very injury riddled almost just like broken apart. Uh, Jackson coming in off the bench must be a huge punch to the gut uh, for these guys when you get through the starting five and you have Sonogo, who's running a marathon on the court, and uh, Hawkins, who's going to score 15, 16 on you every night. And then you go to the bench, and then you have 7-2 Klingon coming out, and Andre Jackson, who are, are just going to beat you over the top, uh, you can't score on Klingon. You're not even getting a shot up over him. And uh, Jackson will just jump up and grab it, or he'll jump over you and score it. It's just such a dynamic team this year. Yeah, Matt, that's exactly what I was about to say, is that, like, Jackson is the guy who can come in if I, I, either Aline or Caravan is struggling. Going and you know teams out of the game out. No, here comes six foot six Andre Jackson who can dunk on a seventeen foot hoop. You know it's just going to catch some teams off guard. And coming off the bench is not really a bad thing. It doesn't mean you suck. It just means you're playing your role, which is honestly what the team needs. I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure he's going to go to the NBA. He's really got every talent that he needs. So I mean, the shooting could use a little work, but. He's going to go to the NBA, but more importantly right now is he needs to just be that role that the team needs. I mean, I wouldn't change the starting lineup eight, no. Why? We beat some real good teams, number eight in the country, looking to move forward. Why?
Yeah, definitely. You mentioned coming off the bench. It's not a bad thing. Look at the Iowa State game. 41 of our 71 points were bench points. That's just shows the shows how important having a second unit is that can score the basketball. And I think that'll just about do it for episode five, recapping the whole Phil Knight Invitational. Up next for UConn, there's only one game this week, but it's a pretty, not big game, but against the Power Five opponent, Oklahoma State, in the Big East Big 12 Challenge. So that's on Thursday, so looking forward to that. And, yeah, I think that'll just about do it. Look for another episode later this week. Either, I'm not sure if it'll be a preview of Oklahoma State or a recap of the game. Not sure yet, but stay tuned later this week for another episode. Thanks for watching.